as she's leaving, the story goes, she drops him. Okay, and what we know from that there, even into adulthood, he was paralyzed because of that drop. Sad, right? And so he's in hiding, he's paralyzed, uh, in fear, in the whole deal. One day, David asks his people around him. I don't know if he was just sitting on his throne and he was like, and he just like started spouting out questions. I don't know how that goes. But one day David asks if anybody knew if there were any living relatives of Jonathan. Because Jonathan had passed away at this point. He was missing his best friend. He still loved Jonathan, even though everything that went through, went down with David and Saul, David still loved Jonathan and missed Jonathan. And he, so he asks if there were any living relatives of Jonathan. Now, I can imagine the one, like, servant who knew about Mephibosheth is in the back going, like, oh, no, the time has come, right? And, he's, and he or she or whoever it is is, like, probably nervous. We don't know the details. But, you know, this, the servant comes forth and says, actually, there is this guy uh, who is the son of Jonathan. And David says, go get him, bring him to me, right? At this point, he's not declared what he's going to do. Nobody knows what's about to happen. All they know is that he wants to know if there's a living relative, and if they are, there is one. He wants them to be brought to him. And so they go to uh, Mephibosheth, and they say, hey, David wants you to come to him. Has anybody in here, this is a moment of honesty, okay? Has anybody ever uh, been sent to the principal's office? Yeah, I did many times. It was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have any of you gone to the principal's office and not been in trouble, right? Were you still nervous to go to the principal's office? Yeah, yeah, right? There's just something about being sent to the principal's office, whether you are not in trouble or not. Like, if you're not in trouble and someone's like, hey, the principal wants to see you, you're like, what? And you start going through the things that maybe you could be in trouble for. But if you're in trouble, you're like, this is it, man. I'm kicked out of school. My life's over, right? Like, everything, game over, right? And the whole deal, right? This is kind of what Mephibosheth was feeling, but on a much larger scale of life and death. Like, literally, the king has sent for him, who by all earthly rights has the right to kill him. And so I can only imagine, I can only imagine the fear and the anxiety and the stress that Mephibosheth felt at that time, not knowing what was about to happen. I suppose in that moment he could have chosen to you know, get his things, go into hiding in the neighboring town and try to fade away and not like be found and like go further into hiding and stay in the shadows and stay in fear and the whole deal, but he didn't. He allowed the servants to take him to David. And as he's brought in before David, what you see is that Mephibosheth actually laid down in front of David and in some ways begged for his life, but in another way, what he actually did is he, pre- he pledged allegiance to David. He, he's basically saying, look, I know that I am from the heir of the line of Saul and the whole deal, but I, I, you know, I am following you, my allegiance is to you, and the whole deal. He's trying to save his life, right? In this moment, he's still trying to figure out, like, okay, is David going to kill me? You know, what's happening? You know, what's about to happen? And what David chooses to do in that moment, as I alluded to or just directly said earlier, is one of the greatest moments of grace and mercy in history outside of what Jesus has done for us. So what he did, he, he could have just simply said, hey, don't worry, you don't have to be in hiding anymore. Everything's all good, right? He could have just simply said that. He did say that. 
But what he actually then did is he actually called for a plot of land to be given to Mephibosheth, a home to be built there, some servants to help him in his home and things like that. And then also gave him a permanent seat at his dinner table, at the king's dinner table. And so Mephibosheth has now moved from a place of hiding in fear and in the shadows and in darkness and in his brokenness to a place of honor at the dinner table of the king in the palace. If that's not a rags to riches story, I don't know what it is, right? You guys even know what that means? Yeah, okay, all right, good. Right. So he, at this point, Mephibosheth, lived the rest of his life in a place of honor instead of a place of fear and hiding. You see, I would imagine that any of the surrounding kings around Israel, if they heard about that, they would ask, why on earth would David do such a thing? Why would he allow this basically only living heir of the previous king to not only just live, but also to be in his palace, to sit at his supper table night in and night out, to give him land and to give him servants, to give him a place of honor. Why, would, why on earth would David do that? Turn to Psalm 17. There are lots and lots of different psalms in here from David that are um, prayers and laments and kind of journal entries and things like that, all in song form. Um, from David. Some are from other writers, but most are from David. And this is one of them that I think gives us some ideas here of why David did this such a thing. Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 17, starting in verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. So what he says is, from your presence, let my vindication come. So what he's saying is, I'm handing over all of my rights and abilities to, to vindicate, to bring uh, rain, rain down on somebody to you, right? Reading on, verse 3. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have, um, I have proposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of my lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. I find that interesting. We're going to read a couple more verses just a second. I find that interesting, though, because he says, I have avoided uh, ways of the violent. Well, we know he was a warrior. He was in the military and probably killed lots of people in battle. But what he's saying is in outside of battle, and that's a whole other discussion right there, outside of battle, the way of David was not a way of violence and corruption and lying. That's what he's getting at here, okay? Verse 5, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge for their adversaries at your right hand. Or from their adversaries, sorry, not for, but from their adversaries at your right hand. Let's stop there. That last verse, there's a lot there that gives us clues as to where David is. He is wholeheartedly bought into the way of God that is different than the way of the world. But the, la the last verse there, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. David was in awe of God's grace and mercy that he wanted 
that same grace and mercy to be showed to the people around him who were seeking refuge. David understood the love of God that had been poured onto him, right? Because he also was, kind of, was a rags to riches story, right? He was a poor shepherd boy who had been made king, right? He had been able to conquer a giant. He had done all kinds of things. Like there, God had, it was just so clear in David's mind, all of the incredible ways God had had his hand on him and all the incredible ways God had showed mercy and grace to David, not because David deserved it, because actually David didn't deserve an ounce of it. But God still poured out that, same, that grace and mercy to David. And David was in awe of that so much that he wanted to live that out in his own life. He understood that he was called to live against the grain. He was called to live differently than the world around him. He was called to be a different kind of king than all the other kings in the world. Because he followed the one true God whose heart is for redemption, whose heart is for mercy and grace and love. Yes, he is, he is a God who does have, because he is perfect in every way, there is wrath and there is justice and all of these things, but God's heart is always for redemption and mercy and grace. You see, just like David and just like Mephibosheth, we're all broken. Hopefully you realize it about yourself, like you're broken, right? Like you're not perfect. If you think you're perfect, there's a whole other conversation we probably should have. Um, but you realize you're not perfect. Your life is not perfect. Not everything goes your way. Probably most things don't go your way, you feel, right? But even though you are broken, even though you have failed, even though you have sinned, God pours out grace and mercy to you. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus offers a seat at his banquet table. We're told in, in the New Testament, especially by Jesus, that at the end, those who follow Jesus, those who have been saved, those who believe in Jesus and follow him, will actually have a place at the dinner table of heaven. It'll be this giant feast, right? We'll have a permanent table. We'll have a place of honor. Jesus even talks about going and building mansions for us, and I don't know what that all looks like and the whole deal, right? But like there is, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you have been taken from a place of living in hiding and fear and brokenness to a place of honor, not so that you can boast, but so that you can point more and more people to Jesus, just as David was doing. You see, that what David was doing is this was really a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do to us. David, like I said earlier, had every right to just wipe Mephibosheth off the planet by earthly standards. You know, we would see that and go, bro, you shouldn't do that, right? By earthly standards, though, he was weird that he didn't do that. But he still gave redemption and mercy and grace. By every conceivable standard, God has every right to just wipe you and I off the face of the planet and have nothing to do with us. But yet, through Jesus, he offers grace and mercy and forgiveness and a purpose in our lives. You see, for the, a lot of you, you're, you're Christians, and you're like, yeah, JJ, I've heard this, I know this, I know that like Jesus loved me, and Jesus died for me, and I believe that whole deal, right? But I know from personal experience that we lose sight of that a lot, and the core thing 
that should give you passion and energy and desire in life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's lots that we can know about God and continue to know about God, and we should continue to try and know more about the heart of God and who he is and all the things. But the core motivation, the thing that we should all be in awe of day in and day out is that the God of the universe chose to give his one and only son for you and I. Then instead of pouring wrath out onto us, he poured that wrath out onto him. So it's not just something that saves you, believing in that, but as Christians, that's something that should sustain you. That's something that should continually help you live day in and day out the way of Christ instead of the way of the world. Now, if you're here and you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, all you got to do is believe. Believe that he has died for you. He took your sin on. His blood covers that sin and that he conquered death when he raised back to life. You believe that and follow his commands and you will receive the same grace and mercy and redemption that Mephibosheth got from David and that David ultimately got from Jesus' sacrifice kind of in backwards. Let me pray and then uh, some announcements and we'll go into small group. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that we do not deserve. I thank you that you love us so much that you choose to pour that out on us anyways. I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would move in every single one of our hearts, Lord, for those who haven't believed in you yet, that you would stir in them now the desire and understanding that you are the only way to truly live in your way. Those of us who have chosen to follow you, that you would stir us up to good works and to focus on your gospel. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.